ice cream. Yeah, no, mommy? Yay! Today is Wednesday, July 10th, 2019. Time for episode 87 of the Barnhart Podcast. Wow, it seems like we just did one of these recently and I had to double check my notes to see which number are we on because I almost blanked during the opening. I have to admit, I've been nose deep in mobile application development and I looked at our notes for the podcast. I'm like, you know, you're not, you know what I What in the world is this? The the anonymous, <laughs> no, 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 the the Yanomami Indians down in down in the Amazon. We're Yanomami, to... Yanomami, Y A N O M A M I. Yeah. Usually, when I hear that word in my house or something sounding like that, it's ice cream. Yanomami. Yeah, <laughs> Yanomami. <laughs> well, unfortunately, um, the Yanomami are so far gone that they don't even have organized family units. So I don't even think there are little, I don't even think there are little brown Yanomami children running around saying Yanomami, because I think they just kind of latch on to whatever female adult is there and is acting like they'll kind of sort of defend the child it's that bad so actual female or somebody who identifies as female and i suspect actual? this is something I, I suspect this is something very politically correct and this is why they're in the news but well um it's interesting you bring that up there's another tribe um mapuke i think is what it's called they're in brazil and even down into argentina and they do have um cult transvestitism but it's it's generally men dressing up in drag as women so yes there is drag that exists in the in the horrible um south american amazon cultures but the reason that i that i bring all this up is you know i made the blog post and posted that video and i'm sure a lot of the listeners by now have already seen if not watched the entire video and and have seen kind of what the agenda is and why this horrible horrible yanomami tribe has been um is has been made the poster children of this freemasonic agenda it's and it's just very simply because they are they are already so completely detached from the natural law they're one of the most extreme examples of of any pagan people left on earth of just being completely detached from the natural law and the freemasons are pointing at that and trying to use these people and trying to convince the world that these these noble savages are the you know the pure pristine version of humanity and look when you have this pure pristine version of humanity they do not live in nuclear organized family structures they do engage in rampant homosexual they do engage in, you know, prostitution, incest, bestiality, et cetera, et cetera. So the lying propaganda that they're trying to sell everybody on is that these these people are the exemplars. They are they are humankind, untouched and pristine. And oh, look, look at all this sexual perversion. Oh, isn't that great? That means it must be okay. Yeah, um, no, mommy needs one, daddy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yanomami. <laughs> and so, but then what this all leads to is the fact that we need to have the extraordinarily now politically correct conversation about what should be 
the Christian attitude towards these these Amazonians or the pagans in Papua New Guinea, Indonesia, um, the ones on the island, um, what is it, South Timor or what? Or, it's south of India somewhere. There's a there's an island of people, and every time they try, so, it was not too long ago. Some idiot um, Baptist American uh, uh, missionary, quote unquote, decided that he was going to pay somebody to boat him out and drop him off on this island with these uh, basically uncontacted pagan savages and they they promptly killed him and they're notorious for this they anybody any interlopers come in and land on their beach and they just promptly go kill them and drag them off and and heaven knows what else if they eat them they probably eat them and so on and so forth i was gonna say he probably became the other other white meat the other other white meat the special pork as as it is sometimes referred to um and And if he was american it would be quite fatty and tasty i'm sure yeah, but he was he was Asian. He was a, of Asia. He was like Japanese American. So I don't know. It was probably pretty lean too. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I apologize for my racial profiling. Think that Baptists are only Americans. Well, there you that also that, <laughs> and also my racial profiling that all Japanese people are skinny. So <laughs> this is this is starting off well, and boy, it's only going to get better. But but in all seriousness, there is even amongst trad Catholics, I've noticed talking to people, this is one of the things that is the the most perhaps beaten into enculturated this perverse thought. That these that these pagans that these savages that for some reason oh no we should leave these people alone and isn't it isn't it cool and doesn't add doesn't it add to the human tapestry that there are these untouched people who live like this running around naked and the Yanomami and the other Amazonians running around with no clothes on mutilating their bodies the men w- literally wearing um literally wearing um, hollowed out gourds on their male member and things like this. Oh, w- w- you know, we shouldn't, we should leave them. And we, who, who are we, who are we to impose our culture on them? And I just sit here and shake my head and think, what, if anything, do you actually believe about the faith, about our Lord, about any of it. Well, first off, there's the Great Commission where you have to go out and spread the gospel to the entire world. But secondly, I thought the big push of the last 60 years was to encounter people in dialogue. I, we're not even going to encounter them. We're, we're, not even, we're not even being consistent with Vatican II ideology at this point. Well, yeah, but apparently the idea is with what the Freemasons are trying to push with this synod and all of this is that the encounter and dialogue is so that we can become more like them, so that we can shed all of our basically Christian trappings, all of our trappings of civilization, and become more like these these pagan savages. And that's what it is. If you watch that video that I linked to and you see those people that To me, it's terrifying because you look at them and you can tell that there is massive, massive demonic oppression. Just just instantly. I I don't know about anyone else, but I 
instantly see it, that there is a massive demonic dynamic going on with these people. And it's a proof set of how sin makes you stupid. Okay, so these Yanomami people are engaging in all of these horrific, horrific practices and sins and, um, you know, there's there's human sacrifice there's the killing of babies there's you know they're waging the most brutal wars against each other fighting over women lower than animals and all of that i mean it's and you see it and you you realize that they have that dead-eyed quality you know that quality that there there's just nobody home and then not only is there nobody home, but they are now prone to these actions, activities, ways of life that are literally lower than what animals do. Animals know better than to have had to try to copulate with animals of the same sex. I mean, I'm sorry, they're the the sodomite. Uh, the pervert activists are trying to convince everybody that, oh, no, animals are just, you know, screwing anything right, left. No, 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 no. You might have one animal who's temporarily for two seconds confused about the sex of another animal and tries to mount it or something. But that that doesn't go on. There aren't animals. There are not any animals that are consciously engaging in any sort of specifically same-sex activity that's just that's just a lie that is a fabrication um animals do not intentionally engage ever engage in anything like oral sodomy they just they don't do that animals do not do that at least animals have the sense to not engage in things like that oh no it takes a human being it takes a human being to drop themselves down that low and that's why if you remember, I've posted this quote and we've discussed it multiple times in the dialogues of St. Catherine of Siena. Our Lord said to St. Catherine of Siena that when the when homosexual activity starts, first of all, it makes our Lord nauseous in his in his human nature. So when people engage in that crap, it's literally making Jesus sick, nauseous sick. That is how bad it is. Number two, this is, and this is equally as, as interesting and informative, the demons are happy to instigate it in any way that they can. Um, they like to, you know, the imagery that's used is shooting people with the arrows of lust and so on and so forth. But when that sodomy crap starts in, when two, two guys or two women start going at it, the demons have to withdraw. They, they don't stick around and watch. And you would think, well, you'd think that they, the demons would get off on that. And our Lord explained why the demons withdraw and can't even themselves stick around and watch it. It's because demons are angelic beings, that their nature is angelic. When that crap starts, it is so bad that even, even demons, because of and by virtue of the fact that they are in fact of an angelic nature, have to turn away, look away, leave, withdraw from the situation, can't even be in the same, in the same space, in the same plane as sodomitical activity when it's going on because it's that bad. 
It's that bad. The demons are happy to get us to engage in it, and they relish they relish in the fact that we are we are doing something that is so sickening that it's even lower than animal. That we are debasing ourselves that bad. Oh, that makes the demons. That gives them tremendous diabolical satisfaction. But they can't stick around and watch it because even they can't stand to be around something that sick and twisted. So you look at these Amazonians, any of these so-called noble savages, you can even apply this. Oh, I told you we were going to get super politically incorrect. You can apply this to the the black hip hop culture, as we've taught the black rap hip hop culture, as we've talked about a lot. That whole thing of human beings freely choosing to debase themselves into an animal or sub-animal category, basically. Um, And so I I just marvel at Christians, at at Catholics, anybody who looks at these people and looks at how they live, running around naked, the way they treat each other. Clearly, the societies are loveless in any meaningful sense of the word. Um, People are just objects. and you look at this and you and you would think that if you were morally sane the first instinct you would have is my god my god help us go get these people and and save them from this sickening sickening culture that they're in we should aggressively aggressively desire to get these people um, advanced, get them baptized, get them advanced into a human Christian culture. We should want, we should absolutely desire with every fiber of our beings to, to want those Amazonian, pagan, any of the pagan cultures, those cultures to be eliminated. It's not cool. It is not cool that there are human beings running around naked with plates in their lips, um, screwing left, right, center, animal, vegetable, mineral, not living in family structures. Do do you want to live like that? And don't come back at me with the whole, well, you know, that's their culture. That's what they're used to. Um, if you give them the choice between living in, in, you know, white Christian Western culture or their own, you know, rainforest animal culture, they would, they would freely choose. They would want to live in their own. Well, the fags in San Francisco who are in the bathhouses, if you give them a choice, they're freely choosing to live like that. Just because, just because a human being would would freely make the choice to live in a debased state doesn't make the debased state superior. It has to be said, and we need to start talking about this and acknowledging this. What what can now be categorized as Christian culture, Western culture, is objectively, intrinsically superior on a massive level to how these people, these pagans, are living, these Amazonians. We should, it is an absolute scandal and shame that here we are in the 20th, 21st century, we have all of this technology, 
We have the ability to go down there and get at these people. And we don't do anything. And, and we don't necessarily. We have the technology where we wouldn't be giving them smallpox or, or, you know, inadvertently or anything like that. That could all be managed and taken care of. The fact that we leave those people in those objectively horrific, horrific cultures and don't do anything to get them to where they are living with some kind of human dignity, wearing clothes, having families, getting married, having nuclear family structures, um, being literate. These things are objectively superior, which is why they go hand in hand with Christian culture. Any one of those little Yanomami or any of the Amazon pagan or, or Asian pagan cultures, if you went in and grabbed an absolute newborn baby out of one of those cultures and raised them, you could, you could, they would be, you could raise them to be classicists. You could raise them to be so that they had the capacity to be mathematicians, scholars, scientists, whatever. Um, and they also, more, most impor importantly, perhaps, they would be raised in, in a Christian culture in which they had a sporting chance of, of being a saint, of that is to say, of, of being saved, okay? Th how in the world, this is a fascinating meditation and thought on, um, you know, what the church teaches with regards to um, EENS, extra ecclesium nulla salus, outside of the church, there is no salvation. Now, on paper, and we've talked about this before, I don't know, we've been doing podcasts now for, goodness, almost three years. So we've talked about this before, these conversations exist, but um, the point you made, super nerd, is yes, the church teaches that it is technically possible for a person because of the circumstances of where they were born, when they were born, never having been able to, to hear the gospel. Um, so we, the example that you give is, you know, the, these people who are living in the Amazon in the pre-Columbian era before anyone ever made it over from Christendom. It was, it was just physically impossible for someone who was born and raised in the Amazon River Basin, for example, or on the North American continent in, let's say, the 7th century. They, they had no possible way of hearing the gospel explicitly and being explicitly baptized. But the church teaches that it's technically possible for a human being through the natural law to um you know god god is knowable in in the observable universe in in nature so on and so forth we have every human being has the natural law written upon their hearts look at these yanomami people and look at how far gone they are and look at how animalistic they are and even sub-animal they are and then think about how difficult it would be to be to be saved outside of the Catholic Church, technically on paper, 
just like technically on paper, the church says it's impossible to know if any individual person is in hell or not. It's impossible to know if even Hitler is in hell, even though he blew his own brains out. He he could have made some sort of um, active active contrition in the microsecond between when he pulled the trigger and the bullet entered his head. This is on paper, so yeah, we can't technically definitively say absolutely 1000% certain Hitler is in hell. You have to leave that opening. And so in the same way, you have to leave openings for the, the possibility that people through invinci- who through invincible ignorance, because to not leave that opening is to deny the natural law and is to deny that God is knowable and visible just in the world himself. And that now you're, you're throwing, you're throwing things out at, at, basically as close to the root as you can get. And what you said, super nerd, and I've, I'll always remember this, is try, trying to be to be saved outside of the Catholic Church and outside of the Catholic faith is like riding the Twin Towers down when they collapsed on 9-11 and surviving it. I think the example you give is that there was one guy who was above the impact of the airplanes who survived. No, it, it was it was one woman who was still in the stairwell with two firefighters, and I, I'd forgotten that analogy actually. And it's not an analogy; it really happened. Mm-hmm. And another real life scenario that really happened is uh, imagine being in a nuclear blast zone right below, right on ground zero and walking away without a scratch or without any long term health consequences of it. That happened at Nagasaki, but the 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 bomb there went off right over a Franciscan convent or, or monastery and the the inhabitants there were fine they walked away everything around them was completely destroyed but they walked away is it yeah. technically possible yes but it's not something you want to bet your eternal soul on oh no the, the the odds of it are so microscopic because think about what it means you have to go through your entire life you don't know Christ, you don't know the divine law, you don't know divine revelation, you, you don't know any of that, but you have to go through your entire life and not commit one mortal sin. Oh, that's, that's just, no, nah, I mean, no, that's, that's riding the Twin Towers down, that's surviving Nagasaki, that, that, that's just crazy. And so we look at, um, you know, when our Lord he he died on the cross and he descended he you know in the in the um the apostolic creed it says he descended into hell and, he, and yeah he did he went down it's called the harrowing of hell he went to the limbo of the fathers and here are these people a lot of the a lot of the people who were um you know mentioned in in the old testament who ended up in the limbo of the fathers um and you think about how just how difficult it must have been for them even having the the divine law as jews i mean they had the divine law still how difficult it must have been for them to get through their lives and then you know the the like for example with king david obviously king david committed mortal sins numerous mortal sins in fact and but he was able to make acts of contrition that had such had such purity that it 
he he made it somehow into the limbo of the fathers and then had to sit there and wait with all the rest of them for our Lord to come and get him. And, you know, presumably there must have been, I don't, I don't know what the church teaches, if any of them had to be purgated or not, or if the, their time in the limbo of the fathers was purgation. I'm not sure. That's an interesting question. If anybody knows the answer to that, did, after our Lord harrowed hell, did, did any of those fathers have to be purgated? Interesting question. My guess is that purgatory was in effect probably from the time of Adam and Eve because they had some purgation to do. Whether or not they, um, they of course, they also had a thousand years on earth to make amends in the same sense that uh, Mary Magdalene earned a second virginity. Maybe they earned a, a second uh, innocence. Mm-hmm. But in, in, in terms of somebody who died after having committed sin but having uh, forgiveness for it, being able to, to basically commit sin but die in the state of grace. I imagine that at least was theoretically possible, and certainly since the since the law of Moses, even mm-hmm. though it was a type of dispensation, you you had forgiveness under the law yeah. uh, uh, because of the because of the rituals. So yeah, you could sin and you wouldn't want to make this as a as an internal life insurance policy, but you could have your sins forgiven once a year. Mm-hmm. Yes, Th- that's the point of the sacrifices. Yeah, and then and our Lord's death on the cross is what then ratified all of those, um, all of those Old Testament sacrifices. So. I wouldn't doubt that there are people from the Old Testament still in purgatory. Yeah, you would think. You would think. Um, so we're thinking about how difficult it is. Now we have this objective video evidence where we can go in and we can see these people and you can look and see that they're dead in their eyes. They engage in all of these horrible, horrible things. The Amazon Synod, S-I-N hyphen N-O-D document, which is just absolutely satanic from top to bottom, literally calls for the, um, and I made a blog post about this, for necromancy and divination, which is basically these people have seances and commune with, try to commune with the dead and with demons. Um, And you can tell, you can look at these people and tell. So the point I want to make here is that we have to start talking about the fact again. And again, this was, this was all just common sense. This was taken for granted and everybody was 100% on the same page with regards to this question up until just a matter of a few decades ago. Yes, we need to go find these people. We need to evangelize them. We need to baptize them. And then we need to drag them into human Christian civilization because that is what befits their dignity as human beings running around naked in the damn jungle with a mutilated body and a and a plate in your lip um screwing everyone and everything is awful it's absolutely awful and it should make us weep and it should it should animate us and it should fill us with zeal to go get those people evangelize them and get them out of that culture and absolutely 1000% yes the objective of all christian peoples should be to eliminate these evil pagan cultures from the face of the earth human beings should not be living in the jungle like animals human beings have a dignity it is objectively better 
European civilization is objectively better by orders and orders and orders of magnitude than anything that could possibly be going on in the jungles of the Amazon or Papua New Guinea or anywhere else. Human beings have dignity. Christianity imparts that dignity wherever it is spread. It brings people up. It elevates human beings. It makes people better. It makes cultures better. And it eliminates satanic cultures. Do you, do you want to go back to the Inca and Aztec cultures where those people were engaging in human sacrifice on a level so intense that there were, they built the streets, the gutters, the gutters of the streets would run like rivers from the human blood that um, one of the Spanish con conquistadors, praise God, conquistadors, yeah, conquerors, damn right conquerors, conquerors for Christ. They reported that they they eyewitnessed one human sacrifice in which they estimated that 80,000 human beings were slaughtered in sacrifice and bled and that the the streets of this of this city were just running torrents rivers of human blood. Do you do you think that that's good? Do you think that that's noble in any way? It, it, should we not all be on our knees every day thanking God that those Spanish conquistadors had the stones to get on boats, go over there, and and evangelize those people and evangelize that continent? Was Our Lady wrong? Was Our Lady of Guadalupe wrong when she appeared and she appeared to Juan Diego and she here's the tilma and now you have this miraculous image and there she is and she's all about converting all these people and it happened at exactly the same time as the protestant revolt was happening happening in europe and interestingly the numbers are about equal the number of souls that were lost in europe to the protestant and anglican revolt was about equal to the the number of souls that were saved on the north and south american continents as a result of that evangelization um if you want to see something really moving i've not watched this movie all the way through beginning to end i've just watched clips of it but it's mel gibson's movie apocalypto which is about um this man who is um, Inca or Aztec or Maya or whatever it is in one of these in one of these tribes during the time before before the the Spaniards show up and before that culture was was civilized and evangelized. And it's it's the most it's just horrible. It's horrible. The 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 human blood sports and human sacrifice and the way people treat each other and this guy's on the run because they want to kill him and sacrifice him and he's on the run trying to get away and et cetera, et cetera. The very last scene of this is that he's running, he's being chased by other savages who want to kill him, sacrifice him, whatever. And they, they're running, chasing, running, 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 and they burst out of the jungle and they burst onto a beach and both of them, both the guy who is being chased and the guys that are chasing him to kill him, they come out onto this beach basically at the same time. And what is the sight in front of them? It's these Spanish sailing ships 
and there's um, a group of them. It look and it looks like I don't know if they're Franciscans or what they are, but they're they're clearly missionaries. They've got a processional cross. They're in a a ferry boat, a dinghy coming from the sailing ship and and landing on the beach, and they and these missionaries land on the beach, get out, plant the cross, and start setting up an altar to immediately say mass. It is one of the most badass things you you have ever seen in your life. And, and we all, it's a good thing to watch just that scene. I think you can go onto YouTube and Google apocalypto um, final scene or something like that. It's really good for us now today because we're all so cynical and because all of these orders, the Franciscans, uh, the, the Jesuits, in fact, the Jesuits don't even exist anymore. Um, but these, these orders have been so infiltrated and are so bad and are so filled with sodomites that for us right now in, in real time, it's almost impossible to be filled with that sense of admiration and awe for, you know, just your run-of-the-mill Franciscan, because your run-of-the-mill Franciscan is probably some damn hippie and probably a fag, and you, we're, we're just all so jaded and cynical now that you don't you don't have any sense of wonder and awe at any of these things. To see that image, and, and you know, Gibson has tremendous problems, but he's damn good at this iconography. He, he captures that, oh my gosh, and it, it, do you realize what these people did? First of all, you get on some little bitty boat by today's standards, little bitty wooden sailing ship, and go tearing out into the open ocean, cross the Atlantic. That's badass to start with. Go ahead. I was going to say you should say crawling out. You say tearing out. That suggests you can make the, the trip quickly. But they had very slow trips, which is exactly part of the problems they had. They had massive nutritional problems because they had so long at sea, they didn't have proper nutrition. Yeah. So just making making the journey across the ocean to start with requires tremendous bravery, tremendous stones. Then you land, you get here. And, you know, at this point, the Spanish conquistadors, they they knew that there were people here and that the people here were not, the, or that the people on the North American landmass and so on, and in the Caribbean and so forth, were in bad shape, shall we say. I mean, they were pagan animals engaging in very bad things. And what did they say? They said, let's go, let's go all the more reason. So they, so these guys roll in, they're half dead from malnutrition to start with. They land and then they go in to these cultures that were so violent, so, and being as outnumbered as they were. Now, granted, they had superior weaponry, they had guns and so forth. And armor but, too. That, and armor. That made yeah. a big difference. But still just being outnumbered the way they were and and you realize just how incredibly courageous and filled with charity i mean come on the the do you, were they looking for precious metals sure they were looking for precious metals sure they were i'm not going to begrudge them that most of them were doing this because they wanted to spread the gospel. And so let, let's go do this. Let's go find these people. If they're living, and this is, again, we've it's been absolutely beaten into us that we can't even comprehend how anyone could feel this way. 
There are other human beings on the surface of this planet who have not heard the gospel and who are living like pagan savages, some of them in a sub-animal or even satanic culture. Let's go help them. Let's go civilize them. Let's go bring the gospel to them. Let's bring them at least up to the level of our Christian civilization. And when you encounter things that are so evil and diabolic, stand manfully against it. If, I, I'm not going to make any promises that I can find a link to this sermon, but I know I heard a sermon once about, um, I don't remember what the title was, but what stuck in my mind was the the joke the, the priest made partway through about how, it was, I don't know if it's Cortez or Coronado, coming across these um, human sacrifices in, in current-day mm-hmm. Mexico, and they militarily, militarily stopped the satanic high priest yeah. from doing this, yep. even though they were n- grossly outnumbered, yep. they said, this is not good. You put a stop to it right now or we will kill you and, and, and yep. anybody else who tries to take it up. And it just so stunned these people that, that such a small handful of these people would even threaten the, uh, the head of these people. It kind of took them off off guard, but maybe there was clearly there, there was you know protection from heaven involved as well. These, these guys brought priests with them as well. But just the idea that they they weren't just merely observing rivers of blood running in the streets. They were manfully standing for the faith as well and say, you will not do this anymore. Yeah, I mean, it, you should look at that and it should just be in your mind. Oh, hell no. Hell no. This ends. This ends now. And we we will fight and die doing everything we can to end this. And you know what? They did. They converted all almost a hundred percent of them. That's why everything south of basically the the oh it basically the Colorado state line, everything south of that was Catholic. Everybody, almost everybody got converted because of that. Just looking and saying, no, there's no, there's no way that we can have Any fraternal charity, which remember is the second joyful mystery, the visitation, fruit of the mystery, fraternal charity, love of neighbor. How can you look at those people? How can you look at the video of the Yamamami, look at the video of the people in Papua New Guinea who are still cannibals, look at the video of, you know, pagan tribes that still exist in Africa. Hell, look at videos. There's a video going around viral right now. I saw it not too long before um, ca- calling Super Nerd to, to, do the, to do the podcast. And there's this v- viral video going around of this family of American Black people in the rap hip-hop culture, clearly, in Disneyland, in like the toddler section of Disneyland, just having a full-on, all-out brawl. I mean, hardcore brawl. And you you should look at that at this in the same way that you look at these Yanomami Amazon running around naked pagans and all of this. This is a subhuman culture. This this shouldn't be permitted. It isn't. It, it's not enriching enriching the human tapestry or any of that bullshit. That is all complete bullshit. These things are obje- not just objectively inferior. They're objectively evil. A lot of these cultural aspects. We should be doing everything we can and be 
just filled with zeal to go go end this. It, it should be on everyone's heart to get everybody in Papua New Guinea living on a on a decent Christian cultural level. All the Africans, all of these other people, that's what we should be looking to do. And not only are we not doing that, but we are standing by watching and doing absolutely nothing as our own cultures are being systematically reduced to this pagan, subhuman, sub-animal level and, and congratulating ourselves and saying, oh, aren't we enlightened? Aren't we, you know, wearing it as a badge of moral superiority that, oh, yes, we should leave the pristine peoples of the Amazon untouched. Oh, yes, we should be tolerant of the diversity of the Black American hip-hop culture and all that goes with that. I mean, let, let's let's talk about it from the angle of of feminism, if you want to. Okay, you, you're pro woman. How can you look at a video, uh, a documentary of how women live and women are treated in these South American pagan cultures, and not just be horrified, absolutely horrified? And all the women out there listening. One of the things that you should do as an exercise in gratitude and humility is think about what, what if, what if the divine providence had seen fit to have me be born as a little baby girl in October of 1976 in one of these damn Amazon pagan tribes? If you're not, if you're not sprinting to the church to be on your knees before our Lord in the tabernacle, just saying thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for not putting me in that situation, for not having me have to live in a culture like that. If that doesn't fill you with gratitude, I, I don't know what possibly could. You see all these people bitching and whining and moaning and complaining. We're after to put a put a, a, a mild language alert or average language alert on this one, but it, it it's it's an appropriate word. Bitching, moaning, whining, complaining. This is awful. That's awful. Da da da. I hate everybody. I hate everything. Blah blah blah. Now, I can understand how you can certainly look at aspects of our culture and absolutely critique them. But you know what? There's a certain point where you need to you need to just come down objectively and say, look, I have the ability and especially speaking as a female, as an unmarried adult female, you can't leave a woman unattended in these Amazon cultures for five minutes. If a man, if, assuming the ones that have any any familial structure um, or even anything that looks like a semblance of marriage, if you if you leave your woman unattended for five minutes, when you come back, she will be not just raped, but perhaps gang raped to death gang raped to death. Yes, feel free to critique our culture and how it's going down the crapper. No, no question. But you know what? Let's not forget that 
we are literate, we have unfettered access to the sum of human knowledge that we that we have access to via a baby television that we all carry around in our pockets all the time. Um, we can walk the streets alone. We can live alone if if that is if that's the way the divine providence has it has it worked out. As for someone like myself. Um, or we can we can be married and have children and da 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 and have this it, this intrinsic stability. You can leave your house. Um, you you get up. You put on clothes every day. Um, and again, this is <laughs> it was kind of thinking about this about the whole thing with the Yanomami running around naked. Um, this is one of the manifestations clearly of this Freemasonic drive to to make. Christian culture into a sub-pagan, um, even animalistic or sub-animalistic kind of a culture, you see it right now, especially in the summer, obviously, is you're just you just see women walking around who are basically naked. And we've I think we've probably talked about this on previous episodes, but I've noticed it even more this summer. This summer, apparently the fashion is super, 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 super short cut off denim shorts, the, the kind of denim shorts that are so short that the butt cheeks are hanging out the bottom of it, of the shorts. And, you know, every, all the girls are wearing these, even, even the big fat ones. I mean, no one should wear those type of shorts, even the most, the girl who's in the absolute best shape ever and doesn't have a stitch of fat on her or anything. Even she shouldn't be wearing those just because it's ugly and hideous because of the immodesty of it. The but way you're beyond, describing it makes it sound like Daisy Duke would say, girl, you better put some clothes on. Yeah. Daisy Duke would literally say, sweetie, you cannot even, you cannot even be walking the streets looking like that. Um, but well, walking no, the streets is probably the key phrase. We're going walking the streets is the key phrase indeed. Um, but the girls who are wearing it are grossly overweight. And that's that's what I don't understand. That is where you're getting into kind of a it is getting into a like a subhuman um, situation. I, I do not comprehend how these girls can put these outfits on, look in a mirror and not be so completely horrified at how bad they look and how fat and gross and disgusting they look. Um, that it, it gets to the point where you do look at these at this footage of these pagans walking around naked and there's just a complete shamelessness to all of it, an animalistic lack of shame. Um, and I think that's clear that that's what's going on. But if you have any genuine if you even want to call it the the word has been ruined, but feminist, I mean, if you if you are in favor of the dignity of women in, in any way and women being treated as dignified human beings and rational intellects and, you know, aspiring to be like Our Lady, et cetera, et cetera. You should look at these, that this footage of how these people live and just be fuming, absolutely fuming and instilled with a whore that is born from fraternal charity how can we leave these people like this? We've got to go preach the gospel to these people. We've got to get them baptized and we've got to get them into and and share with them and build up for them. Yes, Christian civilized culture. 
Yes, absolutely. We need to be doing exactly what they were doing in the 15 and 1600s when they were going over there and built and replacing the horrific, satanic, animalistic pagan cultures with beautiful Christian culture. Um, you know, go to go to Lima, Peru, or some some South American city like that that was built by Catholics, but then populated certainly by people who were the descendants, obviously, of these indigenous um, South American tribes, tribes people. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. But before the Christians came and, and civilized the place and Christianized the place, they were pagan human, human animals running around doing horrible things to each other. There, there wasn't the, the kind of stability and safety and freedom and just dignity, just human dignity. So that's, that's the point. We need to start, we have to get away and not, and, and do it without any compromise, no hedging, no hedging of any of this. These cultures are, are intrinsically inferior and, and mostly evil. And it needs to absolutely be the objective of civilized, God-fearing, believing Christian people to eliminate these cultures. Yes, that's the objective. Eliminate the culture so that the people can live in accord with their intrinsic dignity as human beings and the only system, the only system that truly provides for that is Catholic Christendom. That's it. Everything else is a downward spiral into hell. It what Protestantism has been is it's taken the already relatively high level of European um, Catholic Christendom and just sent it swirling down the toilet into into the sewer, which is where we are now. Um, the only thing that has ever raised people up and elevated human culture is Catholic Christendom. And if you don't believe me, for any of you who have ever been on vacation and gone over and seen the, the artistic patrimony, just the artistic patrimony that exists in Italy, that exists in Spain, that exists in France, even exists in pre, um, pre-Lutheran Germany and so on and so forth. Um, it, it's obvious. It's absolutely obvious that you have to have this supernatural organization of the one holy catholic and apostolic church in order to to imbue the the ability for man to to ascend not descend but ascend or even just stagnate if you want mankind to ascend you have to have this Christian culture, which at the end of the day is is a supernatural thing. It's a supernatural dynamic. And there can be no hedging on this. And this has to stop. And um, maybe, you know, this, this so-called Amazon Synod, you know, maybe this will be the opportunity that people just need to start raising hell and saying, how can we tolerate letting the just leaving these people to this? How can it be that you've had these missionaries, these Silesian missionaries in the, in the case of the um, the Yanomami tribe, down there living right next next to the Yanomami 
And they pride themselves. They brag about the fact that they've never baptized anyone. What, what in the hell are you talking about? You've never baptized anyone. That right there betrays. It, it's clear. It's clear as day. They don't believe in any of it. They don't have any supernatural faith. And the truth is, a lot of them, like the anthropologist who went down there, they go in there because they they see it as potentially a lot of them are sex perverts and they they see that it's an ability to get perverted sex sex with children so on and so forth interestingly this is also the dynamic that you see with a lot of the united nations employees who in the hell signs up to join the un and go work for the un in haiti or in you know deepest darkest africa who are these people that do it you know who a lot of them are pedophiles pedophiles they go in there and they like for example they request to be sent to haiti because they can procure sex with children easily and it it usually ends up being a dynamic of some sort of prostitution quid pro quo as it was with the yanomami the these anthropologists went in and were engaging in it, it was a transactional affair i will give you this item from from the modern world i will give you guns i will give you xyz if you adult man um engage in sodomitical acts of every shape and kind with me and the yanomami would say yeah okay that's fine um i will give you this that or the other if you let me have sex with your seven-year-old daughter and oh sure no problem at all yeah absolutely nope they don't they don't care because they're in that that subhuman some sub animal diabolical mindset other human beings are just objects and it's all about just me 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 personal power me yes you give me a gun so that i can go shoot uh, my enemies in the jungle i will yes let you have sex with my children yeah no problem because there's no love there um, that's how far gone these cultures are. And so you've got sex perverts in, in our culture who identify that and latch onto it. And now the whole thing is being used, is being deceptively used, and people are being told, well, look, it, and this is, this is where it's all going. These Yanomami, they're the pristine version of humanity. And look, they engage in gay sex. They, they are, they have open um they don't have marriage per se they have open everything's all open it's all free love amongst amongst all of them so therefore it can't be any big deal it can't be any big deal because look these noble savages and we've all been taught our culture has been taught to self-loathe so intensely that people are just nodding their heads and saying oh yeah that must be true because we're we suck we're awful no no we don't suck we're not awful um, even even in the fallen state that that post-Christian Western civilization is in, it still orders and orders and orders of magnitude better than that crap, that pagan crap going on in the jungle down there. Um, and the fact that people can't see that is just another testimony to the diabolical disorientation. But then again, you know, people people are being thrown kids are being thrown out of school expelled from school and people are being thrown in prison for um calling a man a, a man and a woman a woman and saying that there are two sexes and you know paraphrasing orwell um 
the greatest actor of, of rebellion today is to say Bruce Jenner is a man, you know, his name is Bruce Jenner. Um, and so it's, it's really no wonder it's not really an intellectually speaking, it's not a surprise, but, but intrinsically it's, it's, yeah, it's shocking to see human beings. So in such a state of diabolical disorientation and confusion that you can't even admit, you can't see and admit that our culture is intrinsically vastly superior to any of that to the point that we should all just be, we should be falling all over themselves, all, all over ourselves to either go down there or pay for missionaries and fund missionaries to go down there and get these people saved and get these cultures once and for all eliminated from the face of the earth. Not the people, not the people, the culture, precision, words have meaning, not talking about killing the people, talking about saving the people, saving their souls. That's what we're talking about. And yes, in order to do that, that means eliminating the running around naked with a gourd on your, on your unit, um, screwing everything right, left and, and sideways. Yes. That it means the two things are, are mutually exclusive. You can't be a Yanomami tribesman as they exist today and be a saint. That that just isn't, that for all intents and purposes, that is simply not possible. Not possible. You cannot be a Yanomami with a, with a plate in your lip and achieve the beatific vision. Okay, what do we believe? What is the priority here? What do we believe? And sadly, there's a bunch of trads that won't even that won't even state this or won't even make this leap. Oh no, no, the human human culture is is rich is richer and better if there is this diversity and we have these we have these different pagan cultures and and we can learn from them. Nope, nope, I can't learn a damn thing. Not a damn thing from any Yanomami tribesmen. Sorry, not interested. We're the ones with the information. We're the ones with the truth. The one holy Catholic church is the receptacle of the truth. And we're the ones who should be explaining things to them. They have really little to nothing to say to us that's instructive in any way. So dismount soapbox. There it is. I have to wonder how hard was it for the people who are promoting the Yamamami or whatever they're called. Mm -hmm. um, how hard was it to find a tribe or group of people who are living so opposed to the natural law? I, I'm not an anthropologist. I haven't gone to find um, populations who haven't seen white people. Um, well, I've got I a, from what I... I've heard, most of them live in accordance with the natural law. So to find somebody who is living manifestly opposed to it is a bit of an anomaly, to say the least. Uh, but that's the point. That's why they've cherry picked them. And that's why they're being held out. There are other tribes. And this is a point that was made is that um, there are there are tribes in Argentina that, you know, Bergoglio having been the Cardinal Archbishop of Buenos Aires, he he would have he had interactions with these tribal people, you know, up in northern Argentina when you get up towards Brazil and into the into the jungle and so forth. And they're they're pagan, but they still they still have 
some sort of a connection to the natural law and they live in patrilineal organizational something that could be that that is very clearly recognized as marriage and nuclear family units um why why aren't why isn't the well, i think they're called the mapuke or something like that why is the focus maybe not on the on the mapuke or 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 just a broader focus in general why is it that it's these Yanomami that are being held out as the poster children of this? Because the Yanomami basically tick every, every criteria, every box on the Freemasonic agenda of dissolving the family. In fact, in the, in the video documentary that I linked to, the quote is, um, no, what is it? No God, no money, no leader. I mean, it's it's everything that Freemasonry wants. It sounds it's like the, a John Lennon song almost. Uh, exactly. Oh, that's exactly it. That's and someone, the person who sent it to me said, you know, cue cue the John Lennon music. Cue Imagine. Um, no religion, no God. Let me pull it up here if I can scroll through. No, where is it? Da, 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 da. No social classes. No leader. No God, no money. That's a pull quote from the documentary itself. That is, I mean, there it is right there. That's Freemasonry. That's communism. And communism is the bastard, redheaded bastard stepchild of, of, of Freemasonry. Um, the heirs of Russia. That was, I mean, the whole destroy the nuclear family. That was a, a clearly stated objective of communism in the Soviet Union. Leninism, destroy the family, destroy the family, obviously no social classes, um, no leader, and no God, atheism. They don't, th that's the interesting, the other interesting thing about the Yanomami is they don't even apparently have any sort of a, much of an intrinsic uh, pagan quote unquote religion with a lowercase r. There's just, there's just not much at all. Um, I, I got the sense that even the talking about um, the divination and the the necromancy that was actually referencing maybe other tribes. The one thing that the Yanomami are shown doing is taking hallucinogenic drugs and then engaging in ritual fighting. Um, that's that's about as religious as as they got. Well, you can see that in the South Bronx in the United of the Week. But it just yep, hit yep. me though, it, these Yanomami uh, folks you're talking about. It, I've got to wonder if this is like a a group of some tribe that still hasn't been discovered, but kind of like the Amish, they have their room spring out and the ones who decide to leave, this is who the Yama, not Yamamami are or who got kicked out or shunned or whatever. Cause they're too weird and strange. Mm -hmm. This group sounds too perfect from a modernistic standpoint of saying, Oh, this is the untouched human condition. This is what we should emulate. It doesn't sound right. Well, I mean, it is, it's not a, a terribly large population as, as with all of these now remnant, um, untouched, considered untouched, um, Amazonian and, and Papua New Guinea, all these tribes who have, who are really have little to no contact, although the Yanomami obviously do have contact. Um, but there, there's not very many of them. So when you're talking about the Yanomami, I think there's only a few thousand of them, you know, and then they, they, then they take other groups 
and they kind of lump certain groups of them together because there might be some linguistic similarities, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, you're, you're talking about populations that are less than 50,000. And that's, that's, a, that's a macro population. Individual groups, individual tribes might be measured in the hundreds of people or even less than 100 people. So yeah, you're not talking about massive numbers of people, um, which again, you're not talking about having to go in and completely, totally settle and evangelize an entire continent of people. Millions and millions and millions and millions. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about going in and you could sit down and catechize these people. It's not like it would take an army of Franciscans or an army of Jesuits to go catechize these people. It really wouldn't. We're not talking about huge numbers here. So that whole argument that, oh, it's too difficult. Well, no, it's not. It's, it's only a few thousand people, really. Why can't we do this? Well, we could. That's that's exactly the point. We could, but Satan doesn't want us to. He doesn't want us to on an individual level with each of these individual human beings, and he doesn't want us to on a macro level because precisely because they are these they're being used. They're absolutely being used to trick and and dupe modern post-Christian man into thinking that well, yeah, this is the way to go. This is if they're doing it, oh, these noble savages, if they sit around and masturbate and engage in sodomy and do this, that, and the other all day, then it must be okay for us to do the same thing too. Well, let's go pull up pornhub.com and see what's on because because people are now telling us that that's, this is just the natural noble human condition. Dun, da, 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 and here we are. And of course, all this is happening in the country which has the largest Catholic population in the world. Brazil is supposed to have more Catholics in their country than any other cat, any other country in the world, and they can't even convert people in their own country. <laughs> no, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean Brazil is huge, and I think a lot of Americans don't appreciate it's huge in terms of landmass. But it's also it's massive in terms of population. But again, yeah, it's just like anywhere else. You look at the state of the church there, and oh, oh yeah, most most of them are still baptized. But it's it's like well, so are so are the. I'm sure the people in the video, and we'll put the video of the black people at Disneyland having the melee. We'll put that in the show notes. I'm sure. I'm sure they got baptized at their at their black church too. You know, um, what what does that mean? What does that mean? Is there anybody left? Is there anyone left who actually believes any of this? And like I said, there's trads out there, trads who have fallen for this cultural diversity thing. It, it's not good that, that culture be completely homogenous. Well, I mean, it's never going to be completely homogenous. There's going to be differences. I mean, there's differences between the culture in, in Italy and the culture in France, but they, they were both basically 100% Catholic, but there's huge cultural differences. And just as there's cultural differences it, with Germany, I mean, those people were all Catholic up until 15-whatever. Um, Setting aside the whole question of Catholicism, probably the most xenophobic location on earth is Japan. And they are not immune from external influences. I mean, their written language comes from China. 
they have all kinds of cultural influences from the islands to the southeast and Philippines and other places. Even in a place like that, where they have a word, gaijin, when they say it to each other, it carries more existential angst than anything we can say in English to a black person. Even there, they are not lacking influence from the outside. Oh, yeah, of course not. In fact, they're the Japanese culture, um, they're they're really good at riding at riding other people's coattails. So you'll notice that there aren't many Japanese like the 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 highest award in mathematics is called the Fields Medal. And you would think, wow, you, there'd be a bunch of bunch of Japanese winners of of the Fields Medal because they're all so smart and da 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 da. No, no they're there really aren't. Jews. It's all yeah. It's mostly it's mostly Eastern European, Russian, and Jews. Yeah. Why aren't the Japanese good at theoretical mathematics? Because they're not they're not good original thinkers. They're really good at at jumping on someone else's coattails. For example. American automotive manuf- manufacturers come in after the war, say, well, "Okay, we'll t- we'll we're going to get your economy up back up and running. Let's teach you how to make cars." They the Americans taught them how to make cars, and then within just a few decades, they're producing the Honda Accord and the Toyota Camry, which are intrinsically better than you know the crap that Chrysler was producing and all of that, and then in the 1970s and 1980s, and so they they have to have that initial coattail to jump on once they're on it they can then make it they can take it to the next level and 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 develop it and you know in a certain sense even surpass where it was before but no they were they are not coming up with anything independently. They're not coming up with anything by themselves. Speaking and of Japanese cars versus Chrysler, I've got to interject because we have yes. the, the the reference at the end of the podcast to the, the Requiem Mass for everyone who died in the last week. And somebody who did die in this last week was Lee Iacocca, who, yes. who uh, revolutionized. Uh, well, he, he, he did several revolutionary things. He, he, was, uh, he was the one who brought the, the Ford Mustang into existence. He mm-hmm. was. He also turned Chrysler around from a almost out of business to yeah. bringing it back into to profitability and paying off their all, all their loans. And uh, was of course after he passed away, like a lot of people, I'm sure, went to YouTube and looked at some famous things that he said. And he was talking about you know why don't the Japanese buy our cars, especially at this point in time? Chrysler owned Jeep; they had acquired them. He said, the Japanese know what Jeeps are. They know how reliable they are. They've seen them all over their island ever since World War II. They know they're reliable vehicles. And I just thought that was a great line. He was he was a, definitely a bombastic individual who, who spoke his mind. And uh, yes, he died in the last week. But in, in terms of uh, the Japanese and taking an idea and running with it, the, probably the most prolific example of this, I mean, set aside automobiles, there was a technology exchange uh, during World War II between the Germans and the the Japanese, and the Germans did not send even technical diagrams, but just photographs of jet engines and rough schematics of how to build uh, rocket planes, like the I think it was the Messerschmitt rocket plane. Mm-hmm. The Japanese took these rudimentary ideas, and they go, "Oh, you can do that," and they said, "Oh, well, in that case, let's make it better." 
And the the German rocket planes would take off from the ground on rocket power, go up to, I don't know, 29,000 feet, could shoot down a B-29, and then they are out of propulsion at that point, and they just glide back down, unless they get shot out of the sky by a P-51, which they can't uh, evade at that point because they have no propulsion. Well, the Japanese Mm -hmm. say, well, why don't we extend the model so this can fly 200 miles out to sea, uh, out out, uh, seaward, attack an American convoy, and then turn around and fly back on rocket power far enough so they can then land after it runs out of propulsion. They had uh, American intelligence uh, found completed prototype aircraft uh, of jet engines that that the Japanese, if they had six more months, they could have put these into the field, and they were at least four times better than what the Germans had fielded. And the Germans did not send them production jet engines. They had photographs of jet engines to go on. Yeah. It was just the idea they say, oh, I see what you're doing there. I would never have thought to do that. But now that I see what you're thinking, I know how to improve that. Mm-hmm. And they are phenomenal at doing that. In fact, that anybody old enough might remember the, the uh, commercials for BASF. We don't make the things you use. We make the things you use better. Things that you use better. Japanese and BASF company. is a Japanese company. Yeah, yeah. Yep, Panasonic. I mean, all of the electronics, all of the television, all of that. I mean, what, Zenith was basically the last American uh, television or tech, tech, really technology company of any kind. And I don't even know if Zenith exists anymore. I haven't seen that name brand in in a very long time. Yeah, so they just they just figure out how to do everything better, but they can't they can't make that first step. They can't invent the thing itself. And this is another reason why their economy, they've had a lot of economic problems and their economy is always very precarious. Um, It isn't just because of their, their just ridiculous use of debt. The reason why they have this ridiculous use of debt is because they're, they're such a follower society and follower culture. Everyone goes to the university of Tokyo and who studies economics. So that's they they've all gone to exactly the same university, had exactly the same professors in exactly the same program, and they all come out of it lockstep robots. Um, and so when you're trying to populate the, the government of Japan or whatever with economists, they're they're all they're all making exactly the same mistakes. And they're all on exactly the same page and they're all convinced that they're right and that there's no other way. There's no, in the Japanese culture, there isn't any, um, you know, healthy back and forth, healthy disagreement, diversity of thought, diversity of opinion, because conformity is so, it's just, it's everything to them that they can't, they can't think originally all they can do is latch on to someone else. It all—it almost kind of reminds me as I'm sitting here thinking of it. It reminds me of you know the work we've done on diabolical narcissism and how there's the alpha and beta. So you've got the alpha psychopaths and you've got all the beta little diabolical narcissists that latch on to the the hyper criminal above, and then once the beta latches onto the alpha, the beta will brook no criticism. They're completely tribalistic. Um, you're on this team or we hate you, da, 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 da. 
No criticism will be brooked whatsoever of the alpha. And that's that's kind of what the Japanese culture is like. They just glom on to whatever they glom on to, and then they're stuck and they can't they can't think independently and, and think their way out of it. Um, so I don't know. I, I may, maybe some of the listeners will be sitting and thinking and making the critique. Well, and you know, you're talking about these Amazonian tribes and they're pagan and they didn't have Christianity and look at what they descended into. Um, but why, why wouldn't you say that the same thing about the Japanese, for example? And what I would hasten to remind people is that Japanese culture is one of the most screwed up cultures and the things that the Japanese do especially in terms of war crimes. They are some of the most perverse, sickening, demonic, diabolic people that have ever existed when they are given the opportunity to engage in war crimes, torture, so on and so forth. The Japanese do things to their, have done things to their enemies in wartime that you and I, even as we sit here now, as bad as our culture is and as much violence and perversion as there as there is in our culture, those people have been for centuries doing things to their prisoners of war and so forth that you and I can't even sit here and 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 make up. I mean, there's things that are so bad that if we if we heard it right now, we would be emotionally traumatized. The rest of the day we'd be an absolute wreck. Couldn't can't believe that human beings do those sorts of things to other human beings. That's how bad ja- the Japanese are, and that's why every the Asians, the Koreans especially and the Chinese hate the Japanese. They hate them. Um, I, I went to school with a girl whose parents were full blood Korean immigrants, you know, and I remember she got and, you know, they were they were fairly successful family. And I think the father was a doctor or something like that. And she turned 16 and they buy her a car for a birthday and she was bought an American car. And the I remember the other kids asking her, oh, no, why didn't you, why didn't they get you like a Mazda Miata or something like that? And she's, I remember her specifically saying, oh, no. No, no, my parents would never, ever buy a Japanese car. We're Korean because of, the, because of the wartime atrocities that the Japanese have been inflicting on their neighbors, the Koreans and the Chinese for centuries. And they have long memories about that. I, I remember yeah. this story from a previous episode, and I'm pretty sure I responded by saying that uh, one of my shipmates when I was in the Navy, a guy named Park, the biggest insult you could give him was calling him, hey, what part of Japan is your family from? Mm-hmm. That was, mm-hmm. those were fighting words. I mean, worse than anything you could say about his mom or anything else. I mean, he, he, he would do to come unglued at that point. And it was just, you, you don't make that association because <laughs> that's evil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He responds accordingly. I mean, the worst, the worst war criminals in SEAL Team 6 have never done what the Japanese did. That's right. That's absolutely right. And the rape of Nan King. Oh my gosh. The Chinese will probably never forgive the Japanese for any of that. And it, it's, it's, you can tell if you, if you study enough, if you look at enough pictures of people and you're around enough people, um, especially Koreans, you can, you can tell Koreans from Japanese and Chinese by, by their faces, by the shape of their faces and the shape of their eyes. So it might not be a bad idea to, you know, if you've got, people in your neighborhood. And again, this is, this is going to sound racist, but it's not. I mean, if you're dry cleaner or something is some Korean family, um, make, make a point of, of getting to know what the different, um, physiognomical, physiognomical, 
um, attributes are to Koreans, Japanese, and Chinese, because you can you can kind of tell them apart. Um, I can't tell people from like Vietnam, Thailand, Laos, any of that. I can't tell them apart by looking at their face. But you just you don't have any practice. Yeah, I mean, they can tell each other apart. Um, well, they can't tell us apart. That, I mean, that that's the thing. I mean, if you're not familiar with somebody, how they can't tell the difference between Italian, German, French, and Russian. Yeah. I mean, there are definite, they might be, the Irish are special. They're in, in, in a separate case. I mean, you can tell them a mile away. But yeah. it just takes getting used to. I mean, when, when I was in Navy boot camp, by the time I got out, it was, I went to boot camp in Orlando, Florida. Go ahead and Google that. It doesn't exist anymore. But but uh, everybody in the Southeast U.S. went to uh, uh, boot camp in Orlando, Florida. And by the time I got out of boot camp, uh, I could tell the difference between a northern Alabama, mid-Alabama, south Alabama, and urban Alabama accent. Wow. And uh, I, I could I could tell the distinct accents, but I never would have noticed that before. And I don't think I could, I could uh, distinguish them again. The point being, yes, there's a certain amount of truth to the average American who's never seen anything other than... MTV, or actually that's probably dating people to even say that. But if you, if you don't have ex, uh, exposure to what Asian people look like, you probably will initially say, hey, they kind of all look the same until you look twice and say, well, I can see differences now. You have to be around it a little bit to be able to see the differences. But once you have a little bit of experience, it's obvious that Koreans do not look like Japanese. Uh, Han Chinese do not look like um, South Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, Mandarin does not sound sound like um, the other one. Cantonese, Cantonese. Cantonese. Yeah, one, I forget which is which, but one sounds like you're talking through clenched teeth, and the other one uh, is, is sounds very melodic. And and, and Southeast Asia with with uh, Vietnam, uh, Malay, Thailand, they're very very different, and of course the cultures especially are very different. And you get to places like the Philippines where they actually had Catholic influence, you get an entirely new dynamic of difference there. So. Very yeah. different, very rich culture, and that's two-thirds of the world. So for us to say we can't t- uh, tell the difference, uh, you're not trying very hard. You're not trying very hard. And we need to get we need to get more missionaries sent over there, too. So speaking of which, speaking of which, so circling back. Yes. Talk about a target-rich environment. And um, we've talked <laughs> Catholic Church in China. Let's save that for another podcast. I mean, we've yeah, talked about it before, yeah. but it's it's all a target-rich environment. It's two-thirds of the world and a ter- two-thirds of the world population. It's not two-thirds of the world area. I mean, that's Texas is almost a third of the world's pop- area. But The true underground church, the true church in China, not this fake one that anti-Pope Bergoglio is erected thanks to Mr. McCarrick, the Satanist, the Satanist sodomite predator McCarrick is the one who brokered all of that Chinese crap. The true underground church in China, underground, has more members than the entire population of Italy. Sixty, There's 65 million people in Italy total, and there's like 67 million people in the underground Catholic church that, and, and, you know, and that's for China, that's basically nothing. That's how big China is. That's how many of them there are. I don't know what they're up to. If they're up to 1.1.4 billion, I think, I think they're, they're 1.4. I thought it was 1.7 at this point. Is it really? Is Oh my goodness. And then India is trying to catch up and surpass them, but India is still a little bit behind by several hundred million, you know? Um, well, China is just so enormous that any of these 
you know, quotations. I mean, I've I heard these references. There are more people of Czech descendancy living in Cicero, Illinois, than there are anywhere in the world except for Czechoslovakia itself. You make comparisons like this to China. Um, I was going to say there are more Laker fans in China than there are in Los Angeles. No, there are more Stephen Marbury, Stephen Marbury fans in China than there are NBA fans in the U.S. Yeah. And I'm, I'm maybe exaggerating, but not a lot. Not I mean, they have a Stephen Marbury Museum in China, and in America, we don't even remember who this is. Yeah, uh, basketball is huge there. I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> wow, it, 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 China is huge, huge, can't huge, yeah, fantastic, was, <laughs> classy, classy. <laughs> I almost did. A, I almost did a Trump there. It's it's huge. It's huge. Oh, I I I use that word in writing now all the time. That's a that is like why you 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 g e is a go to for me in in written English prose now when conversing with people via email. So he's contributing. He's he's enrich he's enriched and and expanded the uh, the English language. It's make, huge. Make English great again. Make English great again. Amen. <laughs> let's let's save the HOA rant for another time because I need to do yeah. a little more research about that. Um, I and you need to calm down so you're not quite as emotional about it. Super Nerd is having problems with his HOA. So I'm sure send send no, in I'm your HOA a- horror stories to podcast at Barnard Top Fizz. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't have any problems with my HOA. I'm actually an officer of my HOA. So I, I, in fact, I joined be, just to see whether or not anything was going on. I don't know. Maybe we're the exception. We're very laid back. We're cool, and we get along with each other. So, but your management company is messing with you, right? We don't have a management company. That's the whole point. It, the, the, okay, fine. Let's do the story. Um, okay. when, <laughs> I, I've heard more than a few of these uh, HOA horror stories. My, my sister has lived in two horrible HOAs in the past, and I've collected stories from her. And in both cases, they didn't have the the HOA run by the the residents it was run by a management company and this either happens because it was set up that way or because the the residents decide we don't actually want to run our HOA we're, we want to pay somebody to run it for us so we don't have to monitor whether people are in compliance or whatnot yeah well the problem is that when you hire a company to do something they have to do something to justify that you're paying them which mm-hmm. means all these tic-tac BS things about your grass is too tall or you didn't yeah. put your, your trash can back in fast enough. You were 15 minutes late on that and they'd start issuing citations and fines. And then they, you, get, you have a seven, you have a 71 El Camino up on blocks in your driveway. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your house is the, the wrong shade of, <laughs> of, of egg cream, peach yellow or whatever yeah. it is. It, it's out of it's all the, all the horror stories you've heard about HOAs. The first thing I look at or look for when I see these stories is, is it run or is it managed by a management company or is it run by the residents? That's the first thing I look at. Mm-hmm. And then even when it's not, you still have busybody, you know, people who have nothing else to do than to get in everyone else's business. And um, there, so there was the story, was this in Michigan? Somebody had um, uh, statues of Our Lady and there were six or seven different statues in their front lawn. And uh, the, the HOA cited the person for it. And of course, I see this and I just roll my eyes, you know, with my limited experience with HOAs. It's like, okay, there's more to the story to this. And and I thought, okay, probably the guy had some big gaudy display. He put something up without getting approval of the HOA. And when you move into an organ, when you, when you move into a neighborhood that is under covenants and uh, restrictions uh, that are governed by an HOA, 
you can't build anything without getting approval. This isn't, you know, limiting your freedoms. You freely bought the property and you agreed to everything before you moved in. So if you do something without permission, the HOA is, is well within their rights to say you tear it out or we sue you. Now, mm-hmm. in this case, it's, it, it's not clear from the story uh, whether or not this guy had permission to do the landscaping. And, and the, the photo, I'll, I'll put the link in, in the show notes. It's the, the uh, Detroit Free Press. It looks like tastefully done landscaping. And mm-hmm. it looks like a really nice house from the, from the pictures I can see in the story. Uh, it doesn't look gaudy. It doesn't have, um, you know, a, a broken down Jeep in his front yard with two wheels off and the thing up on jacks or, or you know, maintenance material or, or cars parked on the grass. It looks nice. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if this is a case of busybodies just who have nothing better to do or if it's a matter of the management company has just decides to say, oh, you've got one more, no, three more statues than the uh, restrictions allow for, or if he knows he's in violation and doing it anyway because he wants to have a make make it a, a freedom of religion issue. You have those people too. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. I think know, it's, it's probably a combination. Um, I, I don't know. If he, if he had five statues, that might be, that sounds a little bit, a little bit much, but it, it just seems to me that that HOAs would be would just totally attract the kind of people with personality disorders that just got off on just messing with other people and and screwing with other people and making other people's life difficult and and exerting power over others. So I can kind of see. It always seemed to me that if you had an external management company that that would prevent there being any, you know, animosity to the point of Hatfield and McCoy type um, um, feuds arising between neighbors, because then you, everybody has this common enemy, so to speak, you know, if you're getting a citation, you're getting it from the management company, you're not getting it from your next door neighbor, you know, and I think there's something to be said for that. And I've, I had fairly decent yeah, there, there one was not so good, but otherwise I have fairly decent, you know, uh, relations, so to speak with, with the HOAs that I lived under. And, and, you know, one was generally, one was generally happy that they were there because coming from, you know, you can go back and you can drive around in certain parts of the world of the United States of America, shall we say. And it is, it is, disconcerting and not good to see, for example, you know, the example of where I saw this and it was the most striking was um, when I was, I, I, in the early part of my commodity career, I was, I had some business that I was doing in Arkansas. And so I several times had to go to Arkansas and you'd be driving around in, in rural Arkansas and it was in Northwest Arkansas. So there's, you know, there's, because of Walmart headquarters is there, there's quite a bit of money. Um, there's people with money in Northwest Arkansas, but what you would see is you would see like a $2 million house with just beautiful picket fences. And I mean, just the whole thing was just manicured to within an inch of its life. And then immediately next door to that would be a typical, what you would think of in terms of a rural Arkansas trailer, El Camino in the front yard on blocks, you know, 
chickens running around and it was that whole disjointed thing and i think that especially if you live in a gated community or something like that that it is it is reasonable that you have the expectation that there are these standards these real estate standards so that yeah you don't end up living next door to somebody who has chickens and el caminos and are that that's the title of this episode by the way <laughs> chickens and El Caminos. Um, <laughs> but they have chickens and El Caminos in the front yard and they're just dragging your property value down. I can see, I can absolutely see um, the wisdom of, of having HOAs. But yeah, there are, there are lots and lots of horror stories. And like I said, it's, it seems to me that it would just attract people who enjoy messing with other people kind of kind of the same way that there are certain airports that attract bad people to join the tsa and then it just turns into the gestapo i think you can have hoa gestapos too but at, the, at that point if it is a management company i i would think that it wouldn't be that difficult for all of the neighbors to get together and say hey guys this this HOA management company that we're using, they're a bunch of Nazis. Let's let's change companies and let's get something more reasonable in here. So I've already had know. discussions with several of the other officers of this HOA that uh, if we ever get a point, get to a point where we don't have enough volunteers to do the things that the HOA needs to do, we're collecting stories about this. And and uh, if we ever put it up to a vote to hire a management company, we're going to throw out all of these horror stories as a prelude to. All of the things that the the management company would have to do in terms of issuing fines and and uh, issuing whatever that would be mm -hmm. binding under the CCNR has to be approved by the board or can be completely annulled by the board. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we're going to let them take care of the day to day management, but but if they do anything that's Nazi, we can say nope, we annul that. Done. And you know what? You still get your check at the end of the year. Shut up and just deal yeah, with it. Yeah, that's right. Yep. It's called subsidiarity. So you have you have an you guys have the overarching power, but you delegate out the day-to-day -day stuff. But then when there are when there's anything that needs to be adjudicated or appealed, that you guys yourself have the have the higher level of power. It's just a function of subsidiarity. Yeah, and Sounds if we have to me. and if we have actual cases where people are just being unneighborly jerks, we can still write the the lawyers' letters and then take them to court and get judgments against them, which they have to pay off when they sell their house. And it's everything works out in the end. Yep. Yep. Well, hope, hope it improves for you somehow. And goodness knows you've got enough on your plate, sir. So <laughs> you oh, don't, my, you don't need any more. My, my, my bad deed for no punishment for good deeds in the past is that they made me the treasurer. So now I have to rewrite the, the um, payment database system. So that's, that's my fun stuff. Um, oh anyway, so all of your HOA stories, uh, you can send the email address for the podcast. Blah, the email address for the Barnhart podcast is podcast at barnhart.biz, whether it's comments, feedback, suggestions, HOA stories, or firsthand knowledge of whether the church approved or church approved private revelations answering whether purgatory was open for business for the Old Testament. Oh, yes. Yes. Podcast at barnhart.biz. Uh, masses for Anne's benefactors. At least one mass every single day now. And every single week, a mass, a uh, requiem mass for everyone who died in the last week, whether you're Lee Iacocca or uh, Ross Perot, everybody mm. in the last week, funeral mass for you, or uh, requiem mass for you. Uh, the Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for more details. 
which is completely separate from Anne's donate button, by the way, which is really obvious and orange in the upper right-hand corner of a desktop browser. And if you're looking on your phone, scroll all the way to the bottom, or I'm trying to fix that so it's at the top. But anyway, um, in terms of donations to Supernerd Media, that's what Marianne, PMJ, and Carl did. And I need to check the P.O. Box again. Or not the P.O. Box, the the mail drop. Uh, Richard was the last one to send something in. So, hi, Richard. Thank you. Um, I'll let you do the Matthew 1720 initiative, and then we can wrap up. Of course, Matthew 1720 initiative, as always, is try to full fast or do some sort of uh, penitential fasting twice a week. And the intention is that Antipope Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as Antipope and the whole thing be nullified. That Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope since April of 2005. That Antipope Bergoglio repent revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision, and that likewise Pope Benedict Ratzinger repent of anything that he needs to repent of, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision, Our Lady, undoer of knots. And I've, it's really interesting. I've seen um, there's weird people on the internet saying Anne Barnhart is a, is a horrible, awful human being because she's using Our Lady Undoer of Knots, which is a, which is a devotion that, that Bergoglio himself invented. Um, nothing could be further from the truth. Our Lady Undoer of Knots dates to the um, 18th, if not back into the 17th century in Germany. And it's, there's a, there's a beautiful painting in a beautiful chapel in a church in Germany of our our lady delicately untying um, untying a, a whole long rope that just is filled with knots it's a very beautiful painting and this is a this is a very it's it's not old 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 it's um, 300 years old by I me mean, for the ch- by church standards that's relatively new but um, Anti-Pope Bergoglio, I believe, saw this um, chapel and saw this um, this painting when he went. He was sent to Germany to attempt to do a PhD, and he was immediately dismissed. He was like there for one semester, and he was immediately dismissed because it was obvious that he didn't have the intellectual capability to do a PhD, um, and you know didn't have the intellectual capability to learn German or or anything else. So he was immediately dismissed on on basically academic grounds and sent back to Argentina. And lo- unlike um, American schools, they kicked him out rather than taking the federal aid. Yeah, exactly, exactly, because this was Germany in like 1970. Um, and so he saw it while he was in Germany, and then apparently, you know, he talked about it. And there's so, remember guys, there's a lot of Germans in Argentina because, you know, there was a little bit of a, a little bit of an exodus Right around a relocation 19- program, relocation program, right around 1944, 1945-1945, too, and that's how Bergoglio's family got over there. Um, his father, I think, was an, a northern Italian communist and fled. And so, yeah, Bergoglio saw it when he was in Germany for that six-month period and took it back. Here's what I would remind you all. This is another case of the divine providence. Yeah, Bergoglio, you know, pushed the the devotion to Our Lady and Doer of Knots in Argentina 
you think maybe that that's providential. You think maybe that um, the fact that there is that that weird connection should be a little bit of a signal to us that yes, Our Lady Undoer of Knots is an appropriate um, title for the Blessed Virgin to to ask for her intercession. This, I mean, and it obviously fits. Talk about a knot. This is the biggest knot that's ever been tied in in the history of in the two thousand year history of the institutional church. There's never been a knot this big, and so. Uh, it's not just because just because Bergoglio is attached to it doesn't mean that it's disqualified or evil or bad or our, our Lady Undoer of Knots is, is a bad title or or anything like that. In fact, I almost see it as the opposite. I think that it is providential that um, that he did see this devotion and that he did push it in Argentina. That's kind of Our Lady waving at us, saying hello, maybe. Maybe you should be uh, maybe you should be talking to me and asking my intercession under this title of undoer of not. So yes, yeah, our, our Lord can write straight with even the most crooked of lines, whether it's Pope Francis most. or somebody else. Yep, absolutely. So yeah, Our Lady Undoer of Not. She's she's kind of the number one in in my mind. She's the number one go to. Um, patron and intercessor on this question. And then of course there's St. Joseph patron of the universal church. There's a, there's a whole litany of people we've, we've gone through it, but yeah, our lady endure of knots. I'm not, I'm not backing off of her at all. I think that she's very, I think she's a very important person in all of this under that title. So there you go. Well, to my wife and everyone else who's looking at the the time left on the podcast and saying, wait a minute, you already did all of your wrap up. Why are you still talking <laughs> until next week? I'm super nerd. And I'm Ann. Thanks, guys. God bless. 